You're in Acts chapter 8, and I appreciate you being there, and we're going to come to that in just a moment. But I want to remind you as we come into this message this morning that I believe with all of my heart that one of the chief contributing factors of our culture and our global world today is the lack of worshiping God rightly. That I believe when we fail to worship God for who he is, then everything becomes broken and everything becomes wrong. This is Romans 1. And you can find your place there as well. We're certainly going to refer to this chapter, Romans chapter 1, this morning. And I'd love for you to have it ready. Probably go there first. But I wanted you to understand that the worship of God is the fundamental thing that brings health to our societies, our families, and our lives. And when God is not worshipped for who he is, then everything else must be wrong. Everything must be wrong. In Romans chapter 1, it talks about three things that happen in our worship or our lack of worship towards God. Number one, the fault of humanity is that we change the image of the uncorruptible God and we make him like us. And we've all done that. We've said, if our God. And what you've just done is you've changed the image of the uncorruptible God into somebody like yourself. And I can say this morning, I am so thankful that God is not you and God is not me. The second thing that happens when we change the uncorruptible God, then we begin to change his truth into a lie. And we begin to reason out of our own selves. If I were God, I would do this. And if I were God, this is the way it ought to be. And in my mind, this is the right thing. And this is the way this needs to go. And I might change God's truths into a lie. Because I don't like his truth. His truth is not convenient to me. And so I want to change that so it's more palatable. And the third thing that happened was is that men did not like to think about God anymore. I don't want to think about him. We like to think about the things of God. And I think that's why Jesus might have said to Peter after the resurrection when Peter and them were fishing and he swims to the shore. That maybe Jesus would say to Peter, do you love me? It's not like, do you love the miracles? Do you love what I taught? Do you love what I started? Do you love the kingdom of God? Do you love the power of God? Do you love the possibilities of God? But I think it boils up, do you love me? Do you like to think about me? Do you like to think about Jesus? Do you like to meditate on the Lord? And so I just want you to understand that because it was this, this failure to worship God for who he is, to embrace the truth of God for what it is, and to think about God and meditate upon God constantly and continually that caused God to give up society and, and really place society into the hands of the gods that we created and the gods that we wanted to worship. And as a result of that, you have political confusion, social confusion, gender confusion, biological confusion, science is confused, everything's confused, spirituality is confused, everything is confused in our world, all because we changed the image of God and then changed his truth and didn't like to think about him. And God gave us over to these things and to a reprobate mind where our world is filled with homosexuality and murder and, and theft and crime and violence and anger. People are angry everywhere. People are offended. People are hurt. Everything is messed up. Homes are messed up. People's lives are messed up. Why? Because of the failure to worship God. 
Our churches are filled with depressed believers, if, if that's even possible. But our churches are filled with depressed and defeated believers. You know why? Because believers refuse to worship God. They refuse to do it. They refuse to do Romans 1, where it says that when they knew God, they didn't glorify Him as God, and they were not thankful to God So their minds become vain and their hearts become dark. The refusal to worship God leads to the defeat of the Christian life. And the victory of the Christian life or the celebration or the experience of that victory is through worship. Thank God. It's not through, you know, educating ourselves and giving more money than other people and attending more church than somebody else does. But just to worship God, because if that happens, everything else will happen. His truth will be your truth. And you will love him and you would like to think about him. And because you love him, you would like to keep his commandments because you love him. It's not about commandment keeping. It's about loving God. And when we love God, we do keep his word because we love him and, and, and we're thankful for him. And so that's Romans chapter one. I, I think this is interesting and I see some of you looking. So if you, if you want this, I would, I would just draw your attention to Romans one. And it says in verse 26, for this cause, God gave them up to vile affections. And that cause was verse 23, 24, and 25, changing the glory and changing the truth. And then they changed. They didn't like to think about God. And um, what is so interesting in this is, if you will, go to Romans chapter 12. I know I said Acts 8. We'll get there. And, and this is not our, all of this is launching us, all right? So in, in Romans chapter one, chapter 12, he says in verse one, I beseech you. And I thought, how sad. But he's the one that wrote chapter one. So he knows he has to do it. And it's the picture of Paul. I mean, picture this. It's the picture of Paul getting on his knees in front of you as a believer and begging you to worship God. That is so sad. And we wonder about the world. And so he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. And that's why the mercy of God, just that very thing. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And so I, I just can I say it this way? It's just the presentation of your body. All right. A, a, a lot of times we might. I don't I don't know what you focus on in verse one. But I, every time I've heard people talk about it, they tend to focus upon the living sacrifice. And let's just face it. We all fail. We all fail to be that living sacrifice. Jesus was the only perfect one. All right? But it's the presenting your body for that. And so you failed a thousand times. Well, you get up a thousand and one times and you present it again. And you present it again and you present it again. Because this is worship. And if you want to know what is worship, it's this. It's chapter 12, verse 1. As a matter of fact, I'm going to read it from a few different translations. The ESV and the Amplified Bible call it your spiritual worship. And so this is the ESV. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
The Amplified says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you. How sad that even has to be there. In view of all the mercies of God, to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, your rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. That's it. Present your body. Didn't say go to church, sit in a pew, sing the song, lift your hands when they tell you to lift your hands. But it just says there, there, it, is, it is the fact that you are presenting yourself completely, body, soul, and spirit to God. And this is my worship to God as a living sacrifice. And that is, that's it. So it, so it means that I, I know when I'm presenting myself to him for, for whatever he wants. Whatever he wants. That's the living sacrifice part. And am I perfect in giving him that? Absolutely not. But is he in his grace able to get that from me? Absolutely. He can. And he will. And I believe him to do it. And so that was the spiritual worship. The ERV calls it the way of worship. The way of worship. Romans 12.1. So I beg you, brothers and sisters, because of the great mercy God has shown us, offer your lives as a living sacrifice to him, an offering that is only for God and pleasing to him. Consider what he has done. It is only right. That you should worship him in this way. It is only right. And the CSB calls it your true worship. So it's your spiritual worship. The way of worship. Your true worship. CSB Romans 12. 1 says. Therefore brothers and sisters. In view of the mercies of God. I urge you to present your bodies. As a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. This is it. The presenting of your bodies as living sacrifices to God. And so I just comment on that because I'm, I'm reminded in Romans chapter 1. As Paul starts this book off. And Romans is an incredible book. And as he starts Romans 1 off. He just talks about how sinful men are. And how we've really disdained God. We, we really want nothing to do with God. And we don't want God to affect our life. We don't want God's, we don't want God to intervene too much in our life if we can find some kind of middle ground agreement that somehow God can give me an assurity that I won't go to hell when I die and I do some a little bit of penance for Him while I'm on earth, maybe do a few little things here, but I can still go about my own life as I want to go about my life, dictate to my children what they're going to be able to do in their life, at least while they're toddlers and teenagers, and maybe wreck their whole future in serving God. But this is what I want for them, and this is what I want to do, and this is how I want to do church, and this is how I want to do life, and this is how I want to do business. And if God, if there's some middle ground there where I can go to heaven when I die and maybe serve you and kind of keep you appeased while I'm on earth, but still doing my own thing, I'm totally good with that. And that is American Christianity. It's American Christianity. I, I, would, I would even say that it's probably the bulk of Christianity in the earth today. That very thing. And so when, when we come to Romans chapter 12, what true worship is, what spiritual worship is, when is it, what, what, what should we do because of God's mercy? This is what we should do. 
how rare it is. And so Paul knew that in Romans chapter 1 when he said it was the failure to worship God. I'm not saying the failure to worship, but the failure to worship God. Now, a lot of people worship, but it's a false God. And there are other people, they just don't worship. And so it's the failure to worship God for who he is and what he is. It's that failure, not the failure of worship, that destroys society and destroys our culture. And it's the reason for abortion. And it's the reason for homosexuality. And it's the reason for racism. And it's the reason for hate. And it's the reason for murder in our culture. And there is an answer for this. And because Paul, knowing this in Romans chapter 1, as he gets to the end of his book in Romans, he's literally on his knees begging the church to worship God. Because he knows what's going to happen if we don't. So here's the great... I mean, why do you even have to do this for Christians who have been saved by the mercy of God? Why do you even have to do it? Because we are so committed to changing who God is. That's why when you get to heaven, you're going to jump, you're going to dance, you're going to shout, you're going to sing, you're going to be loud. Why? Because when you go to heaven, you're going to worship him. And to and to not be able to do that down here just testifies to the fact I've changed him. My family's in trouble, my children in trouble, my grandchildren in trouble, life is in trouble, I don't see the power of God, my marriage is in trouble, God, what is going on? It's my husband's fault, it's my wife's fault, it's those kids' fault, it's this generation's fault, it's the professors at at the college's fault, no, it's the lack of worship. God's got the world. He just has to get the heart of the church. And so... I believe this is very important, living sacrifice. Well, that's what they did in Acts chapter 4. Because they were persecuted and they were whipped. And they were told that they were not to minister anymore in the name of Jesus. And so what did they do? Well, they started to join political organizations. They started to find out in the church who can run and, you know, do legislation. No, They went to a prayer meeting. And in the prayer meeting, they presented themselves to God. And said, behold, the accusations and the threats that have come against us. And so this is what we ask of you, God, because we're not backing up from it. We're not asking for a comfortable life. We're not being asked to be accepted because we know that's not going to happen. They're going to hate us like they hated you. So what we're asking God, because we're living sacrifices, give us the courage to keep going. And give us a partnership with the powerful Holy Spirit of God so miracles can happen in this world. That's what we're asking for. And that is your expected worship. So is this an answer for the culture? And now we're in Acts 8. All right? And so in Acts chapter 8, this beautiful scripture, this is just a, this is an elder in the church. This is, um, it's just an elder. It's just a nobody. That's all. That's all Philip is. He's, he's like a lot of times what you say you are. Who am I? I'm not Paul. I'm not Peter. I'm not Matthew. I'm not John. And so he tells us this in verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. 
And the people with one accord gave heed to those things which Philip spoke, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Read that. Remember that. Focus on that. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them. And many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. Now listen to this. And there was great joy in that city. So here's a man that is going forth in the power of God to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ with an absolute dependency upon the Holy Spirit to do miracles. And God did it. And there was miracles and there was wonders. And how did it leave the city? Great joy. How many of you think Baton Rouge wants to be happy? How many of you think it is happy? I don't, I don't know that we're in the top ten of happy places to live. You know? And so maybe we could change that church. You know? How? Casting the devils out of people. Letting people be saved from their addictions and their dependencies and their depressions and their despair. And it'll never happen on the streets till it happens in the church. What do we have to offer people if it's not working for us? So Philip goes down there and he does this. Do you see that there was a great move of God in verse 12? And it says, but when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So would you say these people became Christians? Born again? I would. I mean, this is the Holy Spirit's testimony. He wrote this. So they believed Philip preaching concerning the kingdom of God. They believed on the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized men and women. And then he tells us in verse 14. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God... They sent to them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. So here's a group of Christians in Samaria that get saved. They believe on God. They get baptized in the name of Jesus. They believe the word of God. The apostles hear about it in Jerusalem. Send Peter and John to them for what purpose? So that they can receive the Holy Spirit. Why do they have to receive the Holy Spirit? So the city can remain joyful. So the kingdom of God can remain powerful. So people can worship God continually. Serve the Lord in power and in might and in glory and in splendor. And in every way that God would want them to be able to serve him. So I just want you to see that. I want you to read that. I'm not going to belabor it. I think it's self-evident. But I want you to go back to Romans chapter 1. And I want us to see the answer to the culture. In Romans chapter 1. This is only effective... Through the person who is a worshiper. Just in communion with God. And in Romans 1 he says in verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. 
For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ reveals a righteousness of God which is by faith. And that gospel has the power to save men. But I don't want you to just think it's in the proclamation of the gospel that is the full answer. And I know I've read this to you many times, but I'll do it again. I think it's worth repeating. God has given me, given me the revelation of repetition. And so in Romans chapter 16, I want you to see this. And he says in Romans 6, I'm sorry, 15, Romans chapter 15, verse 19. And he says, nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you. And I want to show that if you get it ready. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me. And he's a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And he comes down and he says very powerfully in verse 19, through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout unto Elycrium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And beloved, I just want to submit to you this, this morning that if we're preaching a gospel that is not accompanied with the signs and wonders of the Holy Spirit, it is not full. It is incomplete. And the confession of the Apostle Paul that he would celebrate Romans chapter 1 about the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is because he knew the ability of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit's going to do. And wasn't that the case? Now listen, just stay with me. Was that not the case with Philip? What was it that provoked the people to believe the word of God that Philip was preaching, but the miracles that they saw and heard? And yet, it seems like we are full of professors. We are full of, of people who are doing it their own way, in their own logic, and their own intellect, from everything. When we go to church, how we go to church, where we go to church, what we do, how we serve, where we minister, when we minister, how much time it's going to take, this and that. Everything is predetermined by us and not by God. And, and I saw this, I was moved. I, I, I received a text this morning, a dear friend of mine, and, and he texted me this. He was weeping, made me weep. And I just, I just thought about it. There was a worship service last night in Baton Rouge. And um, very powerful worship service in Baton Rouge last night. Over 120,000 people were attending. It was at the LSU Stadium, and the worship leader was Garth Brooks. Now you say, that's not worship. I say it is exactly worship. And I'm looking at this stadium of over 120,000 people, imagining that probably a good bit of them will go to church today. And they were at a worship concert on Saturday night in Tiger Stadium celebrating drunkenness, 
infidelity, unfaithfulness. All of the, oh, it's fun, it's all of that. Well, they had a blast. They really did. They had a blast. You know what they're doing? They're on, they're texting each other all week long. I can't wait for the Garth Brook concert. And everybody's excited about that. Nobody does that about God. And I have told you time and time and time again. I've told you. You go to a worldly concert, country music, rock and roll. You go there and you watch what happens. And everybody in there is jumping and moving and shouting and just praising their God and lifting up the name of their gods in their darkness. Because the devil will settle for nothing less. And young people, all the way to old people, we have to say, please, please, will you worship God with us today? Will you please present yourselves to God this morning? Because if we don't, our culture is going to get worse. Please present yourselves to God as living sacrifice. Please come into the altar. Please come lift your hands. Young people, come on. If you're at a rock and roll concert, you'd be having the time of your life. Why can't you love God? Why? Why can't we love God? Why can't we worship God? Please, I beg you. I beg you, worship God. But we won't. And we won't next week and we won't next month. And we'll have to have somebody on their knees begging us. Please, please, please. So I, I dim the lights. This is LSU Stadium. And I just want you, even up to the nosebleed, they're lifting their hands. They're moving, they're dancing, worship. Even up to the nosebleed section. And we wonder... Why isn't the church making an impact? I don't know. I I, I don't know. Like these scriptures we read, isn't the mercy of God enough? But obviously not. It's obviously not enough. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's not enough. It's not enough to present myself as a living sacrifice to God. Look, I prayed that we would have conviction this morning. And I'm not about to apologize for this. Because I believe the king is coming. And I believe this is one of the most crucial messages I've preached on worship up to this time. And I'm not saying this to rebuke us. I'm speaking to my own heart and my own life. And I'm speaking to us as a church that if we want to see these things change, then let's be devoted to worshiping God. Not in our traditions. Not in our comfortability, but in the way that God does. I don't care if you're in this altar, but if you're in the balcony, look there in the nosebleed section at LSU, lift your hands and shout and praise God. Do it up there. Do it all. I wish the whole room was a worship service and the worship team. There's people so enthralled with God. So I want to get to this. Let's get to our text. I'm tired too. Luke chapter 10. Pastors are quitting every month. Churches are shutting down every month. I've wanted to quit a hundred times this week. Literally. You can rebuke it. I need you to. 
in Luke chapter 10. So I, I want to, I just kind of want to change gears with this now. And I just want to give you our hope and our call and our reasoning. Please stay with me. Please stay with me. And he says in Luke chapter 10, after these things, the Lord appointed other seventies also and sent them two by two, two and two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Did he ask to pray for more laborers? No. He's not asking for more laborers. He's asking that the laborers that are would be sent into the field. My question is, why would you even have to ask God that? Why would, you, why, why would that even be a prayer? I mean, of course God's going to send them. They're his laborers. And so I want you to stay with me in Acts chapter 1. Some of you are going to catch on really quick. In Acts 1 verse 3, Jesus is raised from the dead. And he says, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. And I wonder how many people in Tiger Stadium were just jumping and hollering and lifting their hands. I don't mind anybody having a good time. But they're going to go to church on Sundays and they're going to be looking at you like you're weird. Because you're in an altar lifting your hands and you're the weird one. I'm sorry, I'm just chasing this rabbit and I'm going to catch him. All right, I'm going to catch him. And so years ago when we left Alex Box Stadium, right? To go to the, what's the new one? Bernie Moore, what is it? The new stadium, I don't know, I can't. Still the box. Okay, what does Skip Bertman do? He goes out there with a box. On the middle of the field, around the diamond, the, the pitching mound. And Tiger Stadium is full of people. There's probably maybe 15,000 people there. And he said, we're going to catch the spirit of Tiger Stadium in this box. And we're going to open it at the new stadium. And I watched thousands of people. Scream and holler and shout and yell. More power to them. No problem with that. So that they can catch the spirit of Alex Box and put it in the box and open the box at the new stadium. And they call us crazy. <laughs> bring it on. Really. Bring it on. Right? And those people at Garth Brook, maybe they needed to drink a little bit to get a little, you know, buzz on them so that they could act crazy. Probably was tailgating and all that out there that day. Well, you got the Holy Ghost to get you filled and excited. You know, they think we're crazy. They're going to go to our churches today and say, what are y'all doing up there? Jumping and shouting and y'all are nuts. For our God, we are just like you are for your God last night. Okay, I'm through with the rabbit. Thank you. 
So verse 3 says, To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. But wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you've heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up. He's literally flying and a cloud received him up in out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, this is incredible, right? Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, their angels, and said to them, you men of Galilee, why stand in you gazing up into the heavens? We could all answer that. This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. They returned to Jerusalem. Very powerful in Acts chapter 2 verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Then suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling at Jerusalem. I'm just talking about the pattern because this is what happened in Acts 8. And they were dwelling at Jerusalem, devout men out of every nation under heaven. And when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together. They were confounded because that every man had heard them speak in his own language. They were all amazed and marveled. That's what needs to happen on our streets. Saying to one another, behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how here we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born. And he just says these places they were from. Verse 12. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying to one another, What meaneth this? Verse 14. Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said to them, You men of Judea and all that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, seeing it's the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. And this is God's commitment, but who is his commitment to? To my men's servants and my maid's servants, my worshipers, my worshipers. And that's supposed to be every one of us. Every one of us. And so this, this is, um, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna come to this part that I, I really want to stand out and I'm not gonna stre- stretch this out anymore. 
So Jesus said in Luke 10, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth the laborers into the field. My question was, why will we even have to ask God that? Certainly God's just going to send them, but many are called, few are chosen. And the only thing I could think about in the Bible where God is literally telling his people who want to go, no. Is not a group of unbelievers. They've seen the resurrection. They were with him for 40 days. They saw wonders and signs. They would even watch Jesus fly up into the heavens. And then they would even see angels come and tell them where he went and that he's coming back. Let's go. Let's go. Let's tell everybody what just happened. And yet Jesus said, no. You must wait until you are endued with power from on high. Now, beloved, Pentecost has come. It's not coming. It has come. The Holy Spirit is not coming. He has come. And any believer who is authentically born again, has the Holy Spirit living in them. But like Acts 8 teaches us, when the apostles heard of the revival in Samaria, send Peter and John that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And the prayer of Jesus in Luke chapter 10, as he tells the believers to pray to the Lord of harvest, That they might be sent. He's praying and asking us to pray and believe that we all would be empowered with the Holy Ghost. Because what's going to transform cities? Well, we have that pattern in Acts 8. It is the power of the Holy Spirit through Philip's life. Demons were cast out. Miracles and wonders took place. Paul said in Romans 15, this is the full preaching of the gospel. And I'm going to tell you something, I have been in so many Pentecostal churches that are so completely dead. Dead. And so when I talk about the empowered life of the believer, according to Acts 1 and Acts chapter 2, about the Holy Spirit coming upon you and empowering you and giving you strength. Why? Because He is the key. He is the fundamental ingredient, the essence of all success in helping this culture turn from demonism to God. He's the only one that can get their attention and wake them up and give them hope and break their addictions and cast out their devils. And so there are many, many laborers. But God's not sending them all. Now men can send you. Men can send you. Men can give you ministry and men can send you out. The big difference between men doing it and God doing it. 
So it's the power of the Holy Spirit coming on our life. So I ask you, what is a spirit-filled life? What is it? It's not an experience. It's, 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 not, it's certainly not the fact that you can say that you had an experience in your past, but it is an ongoing faith and belief and walk with a dependency and a desperation for the Holy Spirit. I'm not asking how you shake when you pray. I nor devils care about that. I'm not asking how you read your Bible. I'm not asking how you teach. I'm not asking any of those types of disciplines that you might do. I'm asking, do you love your enemies? Do you love them? Are you good to those who are not good to you? Are you praying and blessing those who curse you? Because that's the life in whom the Holy Spirit is living with great power. Are you purposely walking into situations with the intent of being a manifestation of the kingdom of heaven? And it actually happens. It actually happens in your life. Would you like to live that life? And all oh, the numbers of people that would. And then we'll say, okay, then let's believe God and let's pray. And people will go to an altar and they want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is their posture. You have to speak. Lift your head. Proud to God. And they can't do it. They, they just can't do it. And, and, and yet they want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. When Ephesians 5 says, speak to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and make a melody in your heart and giving thanks to God. And, and we can't even do it. There, there has to be the putting down of the flesh and allowing the Spirit of God to move through our spirits in, in, a, in, a, in a confession of praise and dependency and urgency for God in the life. God, come upon me. And God, use my life to transform cities. That Lord, a city that today is depressed. That in a moment's time, they could all be glad. Because the power of God swept through here. And do you know there's been historical testimony of that outside of the Bible? Where that very thing has occurred through men and women of God who were not mighty and not great people. They were just filled and endued with the power from on high. And that's why people don't operate in their gifts. There's no power. There's no power to get the gift started. And it's not something that's necessarily so phenomenal that everybody in the world is going to see it. Tanya, I believe, shared her gift. She had... The, the auction of the Lord to spend time with God. And then a few days later, God had equipped her. And she wasn't even realizing how he was doing it until she was in a situation that was over her head. And then all of a sudden, all of the armory that God had given her, all of the weapons that God gave her for that battle just came out through words of wisdom and miracles. And a person was delivered. Why? Because why? was Y'all heard her. She spent the day. Worshipping God. 
Praise God. And she's just like us. It's not you. It's not me. It's not my smarts and my intelligence. Oh, God, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. God, will you send me? Will you send me? Will you receive my spirit? I don't need another professor. We have churches on every street corner. I need, a, I need a life of power so that I can work signs and wonders through their life. And I can prove to the world that Jesus Christ is alive and he is not dead. I need a supernatural church and a supernatural people. And when the church will begin to worship God that way. To receive that power upon its life. Then what the devil has worked so hard to do to destroy our society. I believe God in a moment can turn it around. Now it would be awesome if every one of us would be that living sacrifice. And I'll beg you to be. And I humbly ask you to beg me to be. Because I need your help. I hope as much as you need mine. But I want to present myself. I'm presenting myself to you God. As a living sacrifice. And then when you do. And the power of the Holy Spirit comes on you. You know what happens? I don't need a man to send me. Pastor Lee what am I supposed to do? What's my ministry? Where am I supposed to go? How am I supposed to. You won't need that. God. God will send you. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send you. The Lord will send you. He will awaken to you. The, what the, is the cry in his heart. Because he knows that he's now equipped you. And you've received it. To go do what he wants you to do. And it's not to compare testimony. Oh you raised three from the dead. I only got two up this week. You know it's none of that. It's just walking with God. It's just loving him. And walking with him. And worshiping him. And knowing him. So stand with me. And I just want to encourage you and edify you and invite you to present yourselves living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. Will you fail? Probably. But will he fail you? No. He will receive what you give him. And if you need to be filled, you need to be empowered, you need the Holy Spirit to come upon you. Then come believe Him. Come ask Him. Come ask Him. Come sing and make melody in your heart and give thanks to God. Just get in here and open your mouth and lift your hands and open your heart and ask God. The Holy Spirit is not hard to receive. He's already come. He's already been poured out. It's just a matter of you receiving in faith and living in faith and trusting God in faith. Maybe some of you are waiting. I, I want to know what my call is. I, I want to know what I'm supposed to do. And Maybe you've received the Holy Spirit in your life. Just come and commune with God. Present yourself. Maybe today is going to be the day of assignment. How exciting. Maybe, maybe your workplace is going to be transformed into a place of gladness by the power of God. Not everybody in that city was happy. But a lot of people were. So let's trust the Lord this morning and let's just give ourselves to him. And if we can minister to you, we can pray with you. We long to do that.